Okay, let's get this web conference underway. We'll start with the karakia. Unahiet po te pauferi marama. Tomakia te ao te ao fatitangata. Tātai ki ronga, tātai ki raro, tātai ahiro, hamie huie tai ki. Kia ora tāpou, haere mai, and welcome to the Volcanoes online field trip, which is supported by EQC. I'm Shelley the Learns Kaiarahi, and I'm speaking to you from Warrington, just north of Dunedin, in my little bubble during the lockdown. And I'd like to welcome our experts today. We've got Shane, a volcanologist from Auckland University, and Nathan and Lena, who are PhD students. And we'll give them a chance to introduce themselves. And we'll start with Shane, with your glorious magma lake in the background there. Yeah, yeah. So um, kia ora, everybody. Uh, my name is Shane. Um, uh, and behind me is a lava lake. So there's about six of these in the world. And this one is actually not far away. It's an Ambram in Vanuatu. Very good. And Lena. Kia ora. Uh, I'm Lena. Behind me, we have the lovely Taranaki. Unfortunately, I am not there today. And I doubt the weather would be that good. Um, yeah, I'm a PhD student studying volcano volcanology and specifically studying Taranaki. So. Kia ora. And Nathan. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Nathan. Um, I'm also at Taranaki virtually today. Um, and uh, I'm also a PhD student um, studying volcanology, but I'm also really into fossils as well. So, um, yeah. And I've got a question for you later as well, having done our caving expedition on the field trip. And kia ora to Craig, who is a teacher at Coastal Taranaki School. Craig, can you tell us a little bit about your school and the work that you've been doing related to Taranaki? Yes, I will. Um, I'm Year 7 8 lead teacher there. So there are two Year 7 8 classes you know, comprising about 60 students. Coastal is an area school, so it goes from 0 to 13. And I, also, I also lead the uh, Kaitiaki Tanga uh, professional learning group, which is because we have our own farm, we run a mara, a garden. It's similar to run along similar lines to what Parihaka does. So the year seven, eight students are involved in that. And because uh, an overarching picture, the bigger picture for us is sustainability and uh, growing local food sources and, you know, and, and um, developing some resilience within the community. This comes in within us in terms of that grouping, especially involving our students with um, whatever civil defence plans they have there. Like I mentioned earlier, last week we just had a, a, a community hui run by the civil defence uh, here in Taranaki because they've identified the school as a key hub for the community in the, in the case of an event. And so really they uh, were canvassing local people to become involved in developing a, a grouping to, for, to develop a plan to respond and work with them. Our students have started to become involved in that type of activity. Um, I've worked closely with Alistair through a, another means because my wife is, is a puppy breeder, so we met him through that. And uh, But the students are going to become involved in the, uh, do a VHF course and become involved in the VHF communication uh, radio checks they do on the coast and just to raise awareness. And we'll also be doing the uh, earthquake drill in October, as well as a tsunami drill later on. 
And clearly the maunga is on our doorstep. We see it every morning. And, um, you know, really it's just, we, we're talking a lot about it at the moment. Yeah, it's where it lies with us. This is really quite relevant for the entire school. Kia ora. Thanks, Craig. And it's a shame that your students couldn't join us this morning because of lockdown, but uh, they'll be able to listen to the recording and likewise with other schools. So Tula thank you for that. emailing me now. So I'm just going to get, see if she has any questions and uh, see her availability for tomorrow. But yeah, I'm, I'm listening. Yeah, thanks. Good stuff. Thank you. So we may have questions coming in from... Um, students remotely. But in the meantime, I have a question. Um, having done our field trip a couple of weeks ago to Taranaki. Um, Shane, can you tell us a bit more about your work in regards to trying to improve resilience to a possible Taranaki eruption? Yeah, kia ora, Shirley. That's a great question. Um, resilience, I think, is one of these concepts that's a really difficult one to, um, to define in an easy way. So um, resilience is kind of the new way that we are trying to deal with hazard because quite often in the past in New Zealand, we've considered hazard uh, as a fixed thing that we have this type of threat that we build some kind of response, uh, let's say, um, along a river, we might build uh, stop banks to stop floods. And then once that's done, then the hazard uh, and the risk associated with that hazard is diminished. So with resilience, it's a little more complex because what we do is we try to understand that actually no matter how much we build or how much we prepare, there will always be something different than what we expect. So being resilient in terms of volcano hazard or other natural hazards, is all about being adaptable um, and having that um, capability to adapt to everything that you might expect. So this is then sort of more focused on developing particular sets of scenarios from volcanic activity that might test, um, you know, your, your um, response. So one of the types of things we'd like to think about is um, a volcanic eruption may involve several different things happening at the same time and in different places. And also it may last for weeks or months or, or even longer. And so none of our kind of standard processes are set up for that. And we often think, okay, we let's plan for an ash fall or let's plan for a lahar or whatever. But what happens in a scenario when you have, say, a lahar heading towards Okato, another one heading towards Stratford, uh, Ashfall heading over Stratford and, and towards Auckland, um, and various other things happening all at the same time, or also what would be happening if you were getting one uh, event after another and maybe your defences are okay in the first one, but another one builds up the river level and then the bridge is flooded out. So those are the sorts of things that we try to do. It's, it's more about trying to understand the variety of different things happening, that there might be many things happening at once, and that everything we think about in terms of a hazard static, you know, this is a hazard, this is our protection measure, uh, we're all good. Is, is, is maybe not going to be good enough to get it through a complicated, long an event. And so our research is all about 
one of the most realistic scenarios that we could put to different um, community groups, to infrastructure providers, to you know your power and your gas and your roading and your water supply, how how could we best set up these systems to respond to these kind of complex scenarios? Kia ora, Shane. Yeah, because when I first started uh, researching this project for the field trip, I was surprised to hear that um, Taranaki might go on erupting for you know several years or decades even. So that could really test um, our resilience and our preparedness. So it's certainly something we need to think about. Thank you. Um, before we head to whether there's any questions from Craig's student, I'm really interested, especially given your interesting backgrounds today, about moments in your job that really stand out as being memorable. So studying volcanology sounds terribly exciting, studying volcanoes. What, what's a moment in your work that really stands out as a, a bit of a highlight or a, an adventure? So we'll, we'll start with perhaps Nathan. Put you on the spot. Yeah. Um, oh, something, I mean, um, you know, obviously very early days of my career, so I haven't, haven't had too much to experience, but one of the things that, that stands out for me was... Um, when I went to Northwest Nelson. So um, Northwest Nelson has the best rocks in New Zealand. Um, some of the most amazing complex geology. Um, there's the oldest sedimentary rocks in New Zealand there. Um, they have little fossil trilobites in them. Um, there's also, you know, glacial carved landscapes. There's, um, there's asbestos mines. There's um, gold. Um, not that I found any of that, um, and coal, um, this, and lots of awesome things, and even really old volcanoes, uh, volcanoes that were, that existed, you know, 400 million years ago. Uh, so for me, that, that's like the mecca of geology in New Zealand. It's the most amazing place. And if you ever get an opportunity to go there, I would definitely go there. It's amazing. Mm, fantastic. Thanks, Nathan. And Lena. Uh, similar to Nathan, pretty pretty early on. So I don't know how much exciting things I have really um, experienced. I did my master's on a lot of like geothermal stuff. So there was a lot of being in geothermal fields. Um, and it's just very cool seeing all of that happening in real time. Like you see these gases, and you see the landscape sort of like developing holes opening up in the ground where they didn't exist before um, and you can see it just see it happen in real time which I think is very very cool. Mm, yeah it's always amazing being in volcanically active landscapes you just can really feel the energy awesome places to be. And I'd love shame. to see a volcano happen in real time but not yet. <sighs> yeah <laughs> maybe one day. Shane. Yeah, well, I'm lucky to be old, so I've seen lots of things. And <laughs> the um, when I was a very young student, I actually my first ever eruption um, I witnessed, and uh, this was uh, an eruption from Fakati, uh, White Island. And so we were going out to the island. I was a student helper on some field trip um, with a whole bunch of big wigs from civil defence all over the country. And Fakati erupted right in our faces. And so um, it was 
we were luckily quite far off from the island on a boat, so um, there was nobody uh, affected by it, but it was very spectacular. And um, and then I've been dogged by eruptions throughout my career, really. Um, during my PhD, it got interrupted by Ruapehu uh, erupting for about 18 months. So I spent a lot of time chasing um, lahars down the flanks of the volcano and so on. Um, then uh, after that, I went to work in Fiji for three years and I worked all around the Southwest Pacific. So I went to volcanoes like the one behind me and um, and this one here, I've actually abseiled down into that um, lava crater. And uh, there's actually a couple of um, videos of me, BBC movies of me um, climbing down into this one and then some other ones around Vanuatu. Um, and then I've seen eruptions in Indonesia and Tonga and uh, Japan. And um, yeah, so basically it's been, um, I, this is, I would say, my ultimate um, dream career. It's the adventure sciences. So I get to the top of the Andes. Um, I get to go out um, on long uh, yacht trips to isolated volcanoes um, north of New Zealand, the Kermadec Islands, and uh, also around Vanuatu and Tonga. So um, I, that's that's the kind of most exciting stuff for me in the job. Uh, the least exciting stuff is um, is uh, editing papers and chapters and <laughs> writing reports. <laughs> oh well, I guess it can't all be fun and games. Why not? Fantastic. <laughs> Thanks, Shane. <laughs> and I could see that um, one of the bonuses of Taranaki erupting could be some tourism as people uh, come to see from a distance, obviously. Um, the Maunga erupting. So there's always some bonuses, some great landscapes to explore. And Craig, have we got any questions from your student this morning or anything that you want to ask? Uh, she has sent us a question, a couple of questions, quite good ones. Just let me get back to those. Okay, her first question would be, what would be the impact on us? So she's talking about us in coastal and Taranaki and Taranaki and surrounding areas. What would be the impact of an eruption? Thanks, Craig. Who would so, like to answer that? Yeah, Shane? maybe I'll start off. Well, specifically, as I understand, uh, you guys are in Okato, which is um, on the west western coast there. Uh, and Okato lies right next to the um, Hangahatua River, the Stony River, which is, um, which is one of the three main rivers from the Monga that we expect to have the most so-called lahars. And so these are mixtures of, they're not like a flood, not like a watery flood. And I know that you get these amazing big floods there with the big boulders that just rumble the ground. But this is actually the boulders as well as sand and gravel. And it's like a mixture of flowing concrete that comes down, uh, down the Monga straight through and so the biggest um, impact you're likely to receive will be from these lahars uh, because they will affect bridges, they will affect all of the services that cross over those bridges. And you mentioned before the VHF training. So um, with, these, with these lahars, one of the things we expect is that many of the rivers would be filled with sediment and there would be access blocked off from one part of the coast to another. So you imagine, the bridge being blocked off at the Hangahatua, you go along to the next river, 
um, probably bridges blo blocked off um, around further by the Awanui and so on. So there would be parts of the coast that would be isolated. Other things might be ashfall, um, but as you know, most of the wind, uh, particularly low level, comes from the west. So you get plenty of wind, uh, and that tends to blow the most of the ashfall from the volcano over towards the east. So over towards the Stratford area or Inglewood, uh, Stratford, Inglewood, those areas would probably get most of the ashfall. You guys on the Okata on the western side would probably get uh, Lahars and sometimes some Asheville, depending if the wind is changing. Right. What sort of this is just me building back on what you said then. So the, the scenario would be that uh, all of those bridges would be wiped out, wouldn't it? There'd be no, there wouldn't be any access. It's a whole lot of defiles, isn't it? All the way along the coast between New Plymouth and Orkato and the rest of it. So they'd be cut off, like you said. Yeah, what? towards uh, New Plymouth, uh, much less likelihood of being cut off because um, right on Okato, you're at a, a real uh, big landscape boundary. So um, north of Okato, as you head towards New Plymouth, um, you're actually in an older landscape. And so that's that's basically the slopes of the Puakai and then Kaitaki volcanoes. And they kind of protect that landscape. So they block the Lahars. So Lahars blocked and have to go around Puakai uh, and around the Puakai landscape. And so mostly the Lahars would be in the Hangahatua and in southern catchments. And then that sort of, there's a block of land more or less between just north of Okato that extends almost all the way around to um, the Waifakaio in, um, in New Plymouth, uh, which is pretty much protected from from Lahars. So those areas are a lot safer from Lahars. They would still um, have impact from Asheville, though. Okay. Just building on that, where would our evacuation point be? Have any of you identified where that could be for us as a community? Yeah, so the Civil Defence Emergency Management Plans from um, Taranaki um, Emergency Management Office currently um, have a series of evacuation plans uh, set up from Okato. Uh, that would be north towards um, towards uh, Namoto or New Plymouth, yeah. Right. Uh, the other question she had was, the shape of our mountain is iconic. Would this be changed? Yeah, that's a really good question. Almost certainly it will be changed. And the, the history uh, that we know from the geological record, um, there's been massive changes throughout time. Um, you know, one of the big noticeable differences um, from, um, let's say you went back in time about 3,000, 3,500 years ago, uh, one of the big noticeable differences between then and now is the uh, peak of Panatahi or, or Phantom's Peak, uh, which Lena has been working on. So that whole peak um, there, Panatahi, actually grew uh, in the last 3,300 uh, 3, years. So, yeah, the, the manga cha changes its shape uh, over geological time a lot. Thank you. Right. Thank you. 
Um, so another question, I've got this question perhaps for Nathan because it's to do with the travertine that you showed us at the cave site. And I was, I was quite interested in this and I started doing a bit of searching on, on travertine and I saw lots of images of, of travertine throughout the world and the amazing landscapes that um, travertine can form. And then I started to wonder whether our famous but now obliterated pink and white terraces, were they travertine? Yeah, I, as far as I'm aware, they were, yes. Um, and yeah, so the pink and white terraces uh, were travertine terraces. Um, and yeah, travertine deposits can take up many different shapes and morphologies. So um, some of those classic world examples that you see when you type in travertine deposits are those nice little terraces with little um, like curtains uh, around them and nice blue turquoise pools in the, in the middle of them. And that's what the pink and white terraces were. Um, unfortunately, the ones in the Taranaki area don't look quite like that or um, at least don't look like that now. Um, but we can see in some of the morphologies that we are seeing, um, especially on some of the deposits on the Arafata farm site on the, the southwestern side of, of Taranaki, uh, we do see some of those textures where we get this little overflow apron um, that um, kind of protects that little pool structure that we see behind it. So it is possible in the past that we, in the Taranaki area, we did have some of those similar um, pink and white terra style um, deposits, but they don't look like that now. <laughs> Which just goes to show what a dynamic environment we have. And, and that makes me wonder, you know, Aotearoa seems to be particularly geologically active. We have, you know, lots of earthquakes, landslides, volcanoes. How does Aotearoa compare to other countries around the world? And you may be you know, several of you that want to add to that answer. I'll start off and say um, it's it's pretty active compared to, say, the centre of Canada um, and pretty active compared to, say, Europe or, or Great Britain. Um, it's a little slow and pedestrian when you compare it to Indonesia or um, to even to that extent parts of Japan. So um, somewhere in the middle, I think, uh, is where we sit. But um, Lena comes from the US, so she'll have some she'll have some better perspectives on where we fit in the world. I think a lot of it comes down to scale. So, like, if you look at California, it has a lot of the same things, right? And it's actually probably the same size as we are here in New Zealand. Um, but then you obviously have that compared to the rest of the US. Um, it also really only seems to take like one big natural disaster to wake everybody up and bring that to the forefront. Like Mount St. Helens um, suddenly made people care about volcanoes in the U.S. Um, so I guess it's not necessarily about scale, but just like, or it's not necessarily about like how common they are. But when one thing happens, suddenly it can become a disaster, no matter if it happens every day or it happens once. Mm, and how many people are affected right thanks I could, could i just um, add in there as well that um so new zealand is uh we're quite lucky to have all these 
um, different geological features um, and we have we are blessed with a, a wide variety of of different um, landscapes and different rock types um, but one thing is, is New Zealand is actually geologically speaking quite uh, young so you know the oldest rocks we have are about 500 million years old uh, which sounds like forever ago but um, if we talk compare it to say parts of Australia and parts of Canada that Shane was talking about that are you know they, there's not a lot happening in those areas it's because they uh, they're, they're there because they are, there's nothing to destroy those rocks there they are so old and there's nothing that's going to destroy them so parts of uh, of Canada and Australia are you know about four billion years old uh, and so as to compare that with New Zealand our oldest rocks are and there's not much of them uh, they're around 500 million you know Canada that's 400 uh, so that's four billion and there is lots more of those rocks so um, but because we're much younger we have a lot of those processes happening now um, that, say, Canada doesn't, but may have had in its ancient past. Kia ora. Thanks, Nathan. And any other questions from Craig or Barry? That well, I've got one because Craig um, talked about it's the school there they've got and uh, gardening as part of their um, their syllabus. So I want to how has the volcano made the soil good for gardening? Yeah. So, um, as you know, Taranaki is famous for dairy farming, um, and it's actually a lot of the uh, soils in the region are the best soils we have in the country. Um, Waikato is another area with very similar, very fertile soils. Um and these soils are all essentially owing their properties to volcanic materials. And um, so materials that erupted out of the volcano is, is volcanic ash or tephra, uh, or even lahar deposits that spread around the landscape. The, the type of rock that's erupted um, basically forms really nice soil because it's rich in certain nutrients like iron and magnesium and so on, calcium and things like that. But it's the most important thing about it is it actually forms these very stable soils um, with very good drainage. And the other thing about them in Taranaki is amazing is that they are big sponges. They can soak a lot of water in and still have strength. So you can grow grass on them in very wet conditions uh, like we have in, in the west coast of New Zealand. And also um, they don't dry out. So you can have dry periods and these soils, they hold on to water for a long time. And that's one of the critical properties of volcanic soils that makes them different to almost any other soil um, that you'll find in the world. And you know, a lot of civilizations have actually built in and around volcanoes because of those things. Um, the soil, the soils that don't dry out, the water supply that the volcano supplies, because the other thing about the mongers is basically like a great big sponge soaks up all the water. And so during dry periods, that water is draining into the surrounding landscape. Awesome. Thank you. So I think um, that answers all the questions that we've got this morning, but we'll join everyone again tomorrow um, for some more questions and we'll do that on 
Google Hangout so that other people can join us. Um, but thank you very much to Shane, Nathan and Lena for being such informative experts. And thanks, Craig, for joining us this morning. Kia ora. Thanks, everyone. And Namahinui, that brings our Learns Web Conference to an end.